One, two, ten. You're listening to the Claim the Throne Bloodcast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2015. You're listening to the Claim of Throne Blodgy with Cabba and Ash. I am Cabba. And I am Cabba as well. So double the Cabba, none of the Ash. So let's hear it for Ash. How goes it? Pretty good, mate. How are you going? Welcome to the Bottleneck Studio. Yeah, I've come to Ash's house for the evening and I've been greeted with two drinks, one beer and one Jackson Coke. And we have had a shot of Patron uh, coffee tequila as well, which was yum. Very good. You're on your way to Guttermouth. I am going to see some punk shit tonight. It's going to be awesome. Probably will dance. I'm wearing a, a skate shirt to fit right in. Have you noticed, Ash? I only just noticed <laughs> yeah. then. See, the things like that don't phase me ever. Echo, the, uh, the rhino logo <laughs> on a blue shirt. Looking hot. Like a rhino cowboy. <laughs> anyway, those pipes will be featured on the upcoming Claim the Throne oh, album, Great Sandy Desert. Could this be one of the episodes where we have to re-record? Because Cabba got too drunk? Or Ash got too drunk. Yeah, yeah, the latter. Um, Lettuce. No, man. If if anything, it's a better podge for it. Let's be honest. I've been at the Pork and Beans Festival, the Primus album. Oh, in was the, that a joke? In the Suin Valley mm. with uh, one Benjamin Mayhem oh. from the band Benny Mayhem. Way to name drop, mate. Yeah, I know. He um, played an acoustic set tonight, mm. today. Two of them. Anyway. I was there, members of Discord and Mochief were also there, mm-hmm. and the entire band of Farthing Wheel, the original Farthing Wheel lineup was also there. <laughs> the so, entire band. Yeah. Wow. Um, me, Rafe, and Tim in one place. So there you go. Mm-hmm. We did write a song. It was called Fucking Jesus Christ, mate. Wow. Living, it's, the song's called Living in the City. That was the first Farthing Wheel song? No. I oh, you wrote the, this today. The first one was actually called Wheels of Steel. Oh, yeah. Um, Welcome to the Claim of Throne podcast. I am Razor Ray, and you're <laughs> listening to the Claim of Throne podcast. Stu McGill, testing, testing, stew, stew. What are we talking about tonight? Because we did have a few interviews in mind, and we haven't uh, teed them up as yet. Um, but we are doing one anyway. I've got yeah. n- absolutely nothing in mind whatsoever, apart from a few topics you name dropped to me earlier on the phone, which I've already forgotten what they are. Okay, so the other day when we were talking about podcast topics... I was working for Carcass and Napalm Death on behalf of the company Soundworks the other day doing some roadieing and I've done a bit of that sort of stuff in the past, which has extended to some tech work with Cunable Cures. And uh, also Cabba has done some merch for those guys in the past too. So we may be thinking about tonight, let's talk about how you can make money from music. Oh, that's a very interesting story, Cabba. Uh, so, are you doing that for any monetary reason there? Basically, when you're a musician, you can't make any fucking money unless you're like one Alex Canyon of Voyager, incorporating covers into your repertoire in order to turn a bit of a profit rather than the $150 for an entire band that you'll get paid doing original songs. So, yeah, in, in rather than actually making money off music itself, we're looking at behind the scenes where you mm. can make a little bit of coin and... And possibly make some contacts at the same time. So, um, Cabba. Yeah, I mean, really, there's a whole shit ton of ways to make mu- uh, make music in money. Make music in music. Um, but there's also a whole lot of ways not to make any money in music as well. Um, and you do have to look f- hard and fast. It's not where something where you can get your salary and you know what you're getting each week, you know. Think about it and think outside the square and, um, and be proactive about it. 
that sort of thing. And we have done episodes before on making money in music. So go back through our catalog and listen to that shit. But if we do talk about this one particular instance where you can make money from touring bands when they do come to your city, what options are there? So you said you did a bit of drum teching. There's obviously other instruments in a band as well, tech-wise. Um, there is sound. There is selling merch like I did. Um, perhaps being on the door, perhaps promoing a gig when it comes to your city, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I would say um, when when a touring band comes to town, generally, especially in Australia, they really have a pretty slimmed-down crew, unless you're talking about U2 when they need actual semi-trailer drivers to drive their... Semi-tractor trailer. Yeah, demi more uh, around the country. You'll have a tour manager mm. who will often double as your sound tech for a big band. And you'll have a guitar, generally just a guitar tech. And they will be almost like a stage manager. If the band has a little bit more cash flow, income, money, whatever going on, they may have a drum tech. Look, drummers can do their own thing. All you need to do when you're a drummer is set up your kit. It's the same thing as if you're in just a local grassroots band. It's the first gig you've ever played. The only difference is you might get a little bit more uh, anal about tuning and things like that. And um, get more anal. It's as much anal as possible. Okay. But yeah, drummers drummers do that uh, on their own. For instance, with Ailstorm, they're quite a quite a well known big band. They have a guitar tech, Joel, who's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Mm. I'd lick him out. They do not have a drum tech, and Pete from Ailstorm is very good at tuning. And yeah, you'll see him before the show setting up his kit backstage. He'll he'll tune the F out of it and make sure everything sounds really nice and there's a nice pitch on each of the toms. Yeah, he gets himself sorted out. But if the help was offered to him and I've helped him in the past, he would take it because at the end of the day, getting on and off as a bigger band, you don't really want to be rushed on stage in the same manner that uh, younger, greener bands are, especially if you're traveling to their city. You really want to be comfortable on stage, put on the best show. There is room for someone like a drum tech in a local city because, as I said, they don't travel with the drum tech. They don't want to pay the money for their flights. Mm. They don't want to have to pay their money for accommodation, for per diems, for food, et cetera, et cetera. So you might find that there is a job for that on the day. You'll find that if promoters do have quite good knowledge of the country that they're doing the touring, which they have to, really, they'll have contacts in each city where they can tee up people like this Therefore, when they do uh, negotiate on um, running the tour with the band or with the, um, the booking agent or whatever, it's going to appear to be a um, yeah better looking tour, a better looking package they're throwing in. You know, we can offer this in every city. There's no need to bring anyone along, um, which means more money and easier touring. Exactly. And look, the most primary job that you would be able to get here is the roadie slash loading dude. That's the guy who rocks up at, let's say, two o'clock in the afternoon, meets the person who brings the hired backline, so all the cabs, amps, and all of the drum kit and particulars, even things like pedestal fans. What fans? Pedestal. No, not oh. pedestal. What are they Pedophile. called? Pedophile. Paterast fans. Oh, yeah. And yeah, meet them there, basically set up everything on stage based off a stage plot that they've received from the promoter and waiting for the band to arrive. When the band turns up, they go, oh, I don't dude, I don't need a JCM 800 up here. I need that on this side of the stage or whatever. And then you just do that simple thing. You might get paid 100, 150, 200 bucks. Who knows what it might be? Something like that. Um, but it's a very simple job. And obviously you get free entry 
into the show as well. So that's that's pretty straightforward. The actual life life of a roadie slash loader can be summed up very quickly. And that's, like I said, you rock up early, you unload the gear off the truck, you set them up on stage. A support band will usually start off. You get them the fuck off stage after they're done. You help with anything. Usually the next band to go on, if they're a... Um, if they're an actual touring band supporting the main act, you'll you'll find that they're already set up because they've sound checked and their stuff's already on stage. When they're done, you help with the changeover between them and the headliner. At the end of it all, you get their stuff off stage and then you pack down the stuff into cases and leave it for the high guy to rock up the next day. Very simple, straightforward stuff. If the band leaves early, you can drink their rider, <laughs> walk home to your house, drunk as fuck with your friend Jim, and oh. it's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other side of the coin is merch. Mm. Um, people always talk about bringing a merch person on the road with them. Um, some local bands have even done that thing before. But Cabo, you've been in that situation. How do you find merch and what's involved? Oh, well, great. Thanks for asking. I should be glad to share the story with you. Um, when you're looking at places like Europe and America, they will do that. They'll, it's a lot more feasible to take someone on the road that it's just a matter of chucking an extra person in the bus or in the van or whatever. And No flights included. They can do all that shit. Coming all the way to Australia, different story. That's You're adding a, a good 5000 bucks or whatever onto, um, onto your cost by bringing your own merch person along, whereas the promoter can get an, a different person in each show around the country and maybe charge them 100 bucks a show or something. Um which is peanuts. So it makes sense. And, um, and promoters will often have their list of go-to people. Um, so if you're lucky enough to get on the list, by the way, Ash, when I finish this spiel, let's talk about how the hell to even get into this shit in the first place. My, my next question, Cabot, thanks for asking. <laughs> but with merch, it's a matter of, well, from my experience anyway, um, I can't even remember the last one I did. It's been a while, but you, apart from my own band, obviously, claim the throne if you haven't heard of them. <laughs> They, uh, yeah, so you you rock up at the venue. You get there early, a couple of hours before doors. Uh, the promoter will tell you when they want you there. Uh, they should have all the merch uh, in boxes and sitting there ready to go. Um, occasionally, you might have to go pick up the merch perhaps from somewhere. It might be on a van. It might be at a shop. It might be wherever it is. Uh, but you do get a shitload of boxes, especially if they're a bigger band that's expecting to sell a lot got to have your a game on so expect to see about 20 boxes of crazy ass merch sitting there you want to find out what it all is um hopefully the promoter or whoever has done a bit of account and they'll have um, a bit of paperwork set up for you there with a pen and um a, a price list and a um a sales checklist sort of thing so as you sell something you're going to be marking it down so you'll see all the prices for everything you want to um, make sure you've got all the designs of things there that they're selling on the night. You want to um, think about how you're going to have them set out for yourself so that you can find things easily when there's a big-ass long line and you're going to want to think about how to display it all so people can see it easily and don't say, how much is that? Or they don't say, how big is a medium, etc. <laughs> so, um, yeah, start off by taking, taking all the, well, not all of the merch out of the boxes, but a good selection of it, put it in sizes, fold it up, have it along um, some space, some stools, uh, some couches, some tables, whatever they've got there. Have it um, set up by design and by size so you can easily find it and um, you know when a certain size is sold out, you're not looking for hours for something, you just, you, you know where it all is, you need to be all over it. Um, and if you're short like me, get someone to help you to stick it up on the wall 
uh, get a little pedestal, pedophile stool or a ladder or something, um, get some gaffer tape, make sure they got all that, coat hangers, whatever they do, stick them up on the wall so people will be able to see it when they come through the doors. Um, make sure you got the prices uh, written out. If they don't already have um, some sort of laminated little printout of prices, then you will need um, a thick marker to do that. Write them out, uh, cut out the numbers, stick, stick them on the shirts, have it all up on the wall. Um, CDs and patches and beanies and hats and little things, you're going to have them all on the table in front of you. Um, just make sure your area is looking schmicko and people are going to want to buy heaps of shit when they get in. And it does take quite a while. So, yeah, I would almost say hour and a half to two hours before doors open to get all that done. And then people are going to start piling in. And especially if it's a popular band, as soon as doors open, a line forms. It's going to be a big-ass line, and you're probably going to be the only person standing there selling merch for this band. Apart from maybe the support bands might also have their little areas set up. Um, so kind of bear them in mind, but kind of don't. The touring band is the, the focus point, so don't worry too much. If they don't have a lot of space, they'll find space. Um, but don't sell their shit. Um, sell the touring band stuff. That's what you got to focus on. Um, different story if it's a local gig and that sort of thing. But when it's, when you're getting paid to to look after one band's merch, make sure you're doing it properly. Uh, so yeah, there you have it. You got your line. You're selling shit as it goes. Um, don't rush through it. Even if there's heaps of people waiting, don't rush because you start losing money. You don't not keeping track of what you're selling. Um, and remember, at the end of the gig, you're gonna have to do a count with um with the promoter or whoever's dealing with the merch. You have to have your your tallies of uh, of everything you've sold, they're going to go through that. They're going to match it up with the money that you have in the tin or wherever you've got it kept. I've got a real bad habit of take like trying to rush through it a little bit and I'll get some... They might pay in crazy notes and I'm like putting some in one pocket and some in another pocket and some in a tin and then trying to give them change from somewhere else and I fuck it up. Um, so be wary of that. Remain composed if you've got a tin with your kitty, the the promoter or whoever should give you a kitty as well. Um, you, if, if not, then you have to sort that out via them or via the bar at the venue or however that works. Um, make sure you got heaps of change and, and that sort of thing. It's very rare to have F-plus at a gig like this, despite, although people will ask for it a lot. Do you accept card? Depending no. on the venue, maybe you do, but normally no. Um, so yeah, just you got to be no maths. If you don't know maths, bring a calculator. Um, and have it there for change. Uh, people are going to ask crazy things like, um, oh, that shirt's so expensive, or why is that only come in that size, and what's with that design, or why don't you have this stocked? At the end of the day, you're just in the position of selling what they got. You can't really answer questions, but at the same time, the band are hiring you to be there, so you've got to have some sort of customer service. So if you can at least do a bit of research in the band, if you don't already know them before you go, you want to know about them so you can talk to the punters. You want to be able to explain certain designs. You want to know where else they can get the merch if they can't get it directly there on the gig. Um, we had a situation actually at where the last time I did, I think it might have been Cannibal Corpse or something, where it was supposed to be the first gig in the world you could get their new album, but the album was not there on time. Yes. And so everyone coming to get the merch were really pissed off that they couldn't get this album. They were like, I only came to this gig to get the album. Why is it not here? So you've got to just find out why from the promoter if you can and explain to the people, uh, look, 
it was supposed to be here. Unfortunately, the printers didn't have it done in time. The band have said you can get it online and at a discounted price or you can get it from here or here or all these different options and sorry and thanks for coming and have a good night and is there anything else I can get you and here have a free sticker. So mm. just be a generally good dude where you can. Um, you can't be going giving deals like you would with your normal band. Uh, sometimes you might say, oh, if someone's thinking about buying a shirt, you say, look, if you get that shirt, I'll chuck in a free stubby holder. You can't do that. Uh, in this sort of scenario, got to stick to the prices, got to be strict and uh, just be professional and enjoy yourself. Really, you're getting into a gig for free and you can probably watch the show. And um, yeah, it's cool. Sweet, Cabba. Very good explanation. Much better than mine about loading and roadying. Um, the only things you really reminded me of there are things like um, no matter what gig you do, I can almost guarantee you that you're not going to have something there. So there'll be some piece of equipment on the band's gear rider that won't make it to the venue. <laughs> it's not up to you to call the backline company and say, hey, mate, we don't have a... We don't have a clamp no. that connects a cymbal stand to a fucking tom stand or something like that. You have to tell the promoter and say, hey, man, they, they need to get back down here. We're missing this and this. You want to do more because the artist is generally freaking out, but that's not your job. That's the tour manager's job to sort out. What about the um, the latest one that was over here? I know the band didn't have a wireless for their guitar or it didn't, wasn't working or something like that. I got a call from the promoter that night saying, do you have a spare wireless? Oh, my God, can I borrow your wireless for this band? What what gig was that? Carcass, you worked at it? I did work there. Yeah. I didn't hear anything about They did about not have that. a wireless, so they used mine, which they, I was pretty chuffed about. That night? Yeah. So, I, I wonder who would have... no idea about that. So, that dude. means the promoter on the night is, is dealing with that sort of scenario. Ah, there you go. Well, the tour manager, really, the tour manager, who is sorry, usually yeah. the promoter or employed by. Interesting. See, I had no idea about this. I do know that the double tom stand wasn't delivered. So they were expecting both drummers to mount out of the kick drums, which would have messed with the triggering settings, which is a bad thing. If you're a drummer out there, you know what the hell I'm talking about. And yeah, I wanted to ring backline and go, oh guys, we don't have the fucking clamps for the tums. It was a really <laughs> simple thing. In fact, I bought one online for $60 plus $9 shipping on a $9. sale $6. on eBay <laughs> because I'm cutting down my drum kit. That's another podge for another time. Mm. Seriously, guys, back problems. Are some- yeah, and that's another thing, actually, now yeah. that I think about it. Man, the amount of back problems that stupid roadies are going to have because they're going to lift cabs by themselves mm. and gear and bass drums and stuff. You've really got to, when you can enforce correct manual handling procedures and pick up things together you're so used to loading your own gear in a car by yourself but when you've got a helper there use them i'm surprised that companies don't actually make you do ohs test or something before going me too they don't know that these companies exist especially in this day and age in wa anyway with mining and everything and how stringent the um the ohs situation is yeah, there's always going to be stuff missing from the gear rider. And yeah, you've got to let the tool manager know first because the tool manager is your go-to person. Mm. So you've got to find out who your go-to person is and go to them. <laughs> if you are lucky enough to get a slot like this and you're punishing the band, is it going to you be the last be time the gig. you're going to be doing it? 100%. I love some of the bands that I work with. I really love them. 
but you don't let on that you're some kind of creepy weirdo that they'd prefer was outside of the access all areas area Mm. because they want professionalism. They want to be left alone. They need to warm up. It's a personal thing. I've just being just about to go on stage. You're going to need time to get in your own space, time to warm up, et cetera, et cetera. If you're worried that the very guy that's supposed to be helping you is also trying to steal your drumsticks, get you to sign a poster, et cetera, et cetera. I've had posters signed, but I go through the tour manager and I say, dude, look, is it possible that the band would do this for me? Rather than walking up and going, hey, man, yeah, it's been great working with you tonight, but um, <laughs> can you sign this fucking 80 pieces of memorabilia that yeah. I've Unless you get me? some sort of rapport going with one of the band members and, you know, it's appropriate, but you got to But don't know. be a rapport cunt. <laughs> don't work on it just to get yeah. that. Like, you're yeah. there for them. I don't know. To me, the experience and the memory of doing it is worth a lot more to me than a signature on a page, especially because you get get a backstage pass you know mm. you get these little things that you remember the night by you might get a poster you might just pull it off the wall whatever who cares yeah. like you know there's more to it than just signatures on a piece of paper because you're the only person that worked with them on the night yeah how mm. about keep that as a memory yeah you know cool. i like it what about a photo with them photos fine and i always wished i wish i got photos with paul from cannibal but you got that photo in your brain and in your heart I do, which, and I haven't quite lost my memory yet, but it's going to happen because <laughs> of all the booze. But right. that's the same with Claim and Throne as well. Like, I, I'm not much of a photo head because, um, yeah, I keep it all upstairs. Well, can I take a step back for a second yes. and just ask, how do you fucking get a gig with Yeah, because here we are going on about we're working with this band and this band and you, this is how you do this and this is the options and all that. Initially, what happened? Initially, I would say that... In your local scene, if you are known as a person who is good at what they do and you... You're responsible, you're a normal guy. You're a normal guy, you know your instrument, you know gear, and also you put yourself out there network-wise with promoters, mm-hmm. with You've got a reputation, bands. you're a trustworthy person. Yeah, and you've got to develop that sort of stuff. That's a great story, Ash. Tell me more. Yeah, if you put yourself out there and you actually forge relationships with these people, then you will be called up to do things because you're known as that person. What are your thoughts? I would say, um, even from a merch point of view, getting offered to sell merch for this band and this band, if you're someone that's seen at local gigs, always selling merch, you know, packing up your stuff, setting it out, knowing what you're doing, talking to the punters, you've got, you obviously have experience and the, the, the people that are putting on these shows are going to either A, notice these things or B, hear about them when they ask who's good in this city or whatever. Um, so that's one thing. And secondly, uh, why? why? And thirdly, there's probably no harm in even flicking an email out to a promoter who's bringing out a tour. Say, I've got a lot of experience doing this. I want to broaden my experience doing this. Don't even don't mention anything about money. Don't say I need this much money. Don't tell them you don't need money. Um, but just you be yourself and just put your name out there. They're probably not going to reply to you straight away or they're probably not going to get you for that exact tour that you're hoping for. Um, but they'll add you to their list and they'll get to you when they can. And they'll ask around about you. They'll have contact in your city and say, what do you know about this dude? And they'll say, oh, yeah, he's always out at these gigs doing this. and Yeah, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, dude, I totally agree. Another massive way to make money is providing lessons for people who need to learn instruments. Okay. Have you ever given lessons before? No. Have you ever thought about it? Mm, not really. Not really? I've not considered it properly. What's the barrier to you giving lessons to someone, considering now that you've, pay, you've paid, you've been playing your instrument for 20 years? Yeah, there's a few things. Tell me them. <laughs> One, why? Why? <laughs> Two, uh, I hate saying this and then people rip on it, but I don't have time. I've got a full-time job and I can't be fucked trying to work out how to do it. Whatever. Three, yeah. why? Three, <clears throat> there's always going to be with everyone that little bit of, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. Your turn, Ash, go. Perfect. Yeah. Keep going. That's pretty much it. But, but why but, don't you think you're good enough, Cabba? It's probably narrowing down the niche that you're going to be teaching. So if you're going to be teaching young children, you're going to need to know how to play chords, uh, th maybe a little bit of theory, know how to deal with little kids and make, I don't know, have the right classical guitar for them to practice on their their brittle fingers on the nylon strings or are you going to be teaching older people that want to get into metal guitaring or something you need to know how to teach them riffs and whatever and just know how to go about it and it all probably seems a bit overwhelming and scary initially until you sink your teeth into it i dare say your turn ash go so i was in hobart in tasmania why why to play with Balakor at the pub who's called... Uh, name dropping again, are ...was we? Alex from Ruins. Oh. Anyway, we were there and one Jessie Millie got a phone call from her friend who was starting up a teaching business and said, Oh, God, I need a, um, I need a guitar teacher. I need a guitar teacher. Do you know anyone who can teach guitar? She's sitting right next to me in a van as we're about to leave this venue and goes, Hold on a minute, Ash... You're desperately out of work at the moment, you pathetic fuck. <laughs> do you want to teach guitar? I do You'll remember do this, actually. And I said, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll do it. I rock up to this place in the first week, literally three days after getting home from a tour, and my first crop of students was six kids between the age of four, get this, four years old and eight years old. Jesus and what happened? We were playing songs called Oats and Beans, etc. <laughs> the lady who employed me to teach is a trained musician. She's been through university. She has a music degree and a teaching degree. She works at a school, teaches TE. She's involved in the School of Instrumental Music. And then there's me, drummer of Farthing Wheel. What the fuck am I doing there teaching these kids? It was really weird, man. Anyway, I soon found out that Kids don't learn stuff quickly and they're not there for you to go, oh yeah, well you simply need to practice the C harmonic minor scale because that's what's going to make you better this week and you need to play it at 153 beats a minute. Have it 100% by this time next week. Half the time they can't even wrap their hands around the goddamn fretboard to fret a note, let alone a chord, you know. Did you receive guitar lessons or drum lessons as a child? I received guitar lessons at 15 or 16, I can't remember. And my teacher was a classical guitarist. I was into corn and Nirvana. Did they play corn blind on piano when you gave them the sheet music? Is that what happened with you? 
Uh, no, but I gave uh, our music teacher Sepultura Roots guitar tab book <laughs> and he was playing Roots Bloody Roots on piano. That's amazing. My guitar teacher was asking me, how do you play those songs? And so I was just saying before, it was like more like a, a hangout. Make them teach you how to do it. Reverse psychology. Yeah, it was... One tactic. But so do you think about... It was weird. ...what worked for you and what didn't work for you? Okay, yes, I do. In terms of guitar, I never... So I had that teacher. I was with that teacher for one term at high school. And mum told me this year, oh, your teacher rang me up and said that you're too good for her to be able to teach you. That's not me being a cocky fuckwit. It's... M- it's me going to a classical guitar teacher. At the time, I didn't want to learn that, so it just didn't work. I got a drum teacher when I was about 21. I've been playing drums for this many years. Show me what you can do. So I play drums. Oh, you're, you're advanced. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I never learned drums. Can you, can you give me some direction? Or no, I can't, simply. The, you know, it was, it was really shit. And then yeah. I got another drum teacher. My God, if you're in Perth <laughs> and you need drum lessons, go to Ian Catchpole. Hilarious name. Go to Ian Catchpole. He's fucking amazing. He started me from square one as a drummer in the same way that he'd start a six-year-old child. Six squared. He had three books. He had rhythms, rudiments, and reading. He had three books, one for each. And in the lessons, half an hour, he'd do 10 minutes on each. Okay? And then when you practiced, you were supposed to do 10 minutes, at least 10 minutes on each. And it was a system. And so, yeah, it's more about managing people's learning levels and their personality you don't want to like cram them down with knowledge to learn in one time because often they need someone to demonstrate simple things they might get it in their head but physically they might not be able to do it for instance you could show them a paradiddle which is an easy thing to do right for us drummers out there but they might not know or they might not have the confidence to say that they're playing it okay even if they just do it once you might have to play along with them for a bit. Playing along with them, I think, is a big thing because um, sometimes you can think you're really awesome at something and then you play along with someone with a click track and in time and you realise you're going too fast or too slow or fucking this up or whatever. So when you're playing along with someone who that you trust is doing it the correct way, you start nailing it and knowing where you need to improve. It's hard too because I've got a student who's... She knows how to play chords, but it's the changes between the chords where she can't keep up with, let's say, a click track or just the set tempo for the time. And so I think, oh, well, she can already play the chords. I'm just going to have to keep teaching her for goddamn chords, right? Mm. But no, it's not about that at all. They may have certain abilities that are intermediate, but other abilities that are beginner and some that may be advanced. And you, yeah, you've just got to really assess each person and base it on um, what they want from you and then on top of that, what you want from them. And you've got to have an expectation too. Like you have to expect that they will do a certain thing by the next week or else it's pointless. Like I have kids that come in and I mostly teach young students, very young children, and they'll come in and it's been like a two weeks holidays and they forget what we were doing before we left. That's fine because at the end of the day, they're still paying you the money, but you don't want someone coming to you every week and being further behind than the week before you know you, you've got to set some i would hope that teachers out there set some expectations upon their students rather than just doing it for the paycheck of course it takes a certain type of person to teach and you you want to see your students prevail and it's only going to look better on your resume if you have successful students as well what about um 
music lessons online. Have you ever done that? I never have. There's opportunities out there to get into that sort of area, firstly for money and ease of um, lesson, but secondly, the convenience of students as well. I mean, there's obviously the influx of lessons being available on YouTube. Do you learn heaps of shit off YouTube? I often Hmm. search such and such song guitar cover or guitar lesson and watch people playing a song online and they might even slow it down sometimes. It'd be a lesson type thing and they say, do this and do this and then they play it for you. Yeah, I think it's really different between drums and guitar because I'm a self-taught drummer Mm. and I learnt by listening to records and with drums there's no harmonic content so you can just listen but you'll often find you're on the wrong track. Something that I used to do, let's say I'd try and play um, Push It by Tool. Oh, or the survival version oh, with the 10 minute drum interlude mm. or it's 10 minutes but the drum interlude's quite long oh, i got a semi yeah i have a semi um <laughs> yeah like there's there's fills in that especially towards the end where if you're playing it wrong you're doing it the hard way because he plays things quite a lot easier and if you don't learn not necessarily that song but certain techniques you might not be able to just hear that that happens let's say because between the floor tom and the kick drum in a recording when something's really fast they can often sound as one so things like quads and sextuplets might sound the same as just playing a flat out drum roll on the um like a single stroke roll on the toms or fast double kicks like it's it's hard to tell sometimes so yeah maybe a youtube thing might be handy if you don't know that but i mean i don't really go on there for guitar stuff because i don't i don't really learn guitar songs so Mm. much and if i do i kind of like try and fake it by ear or still go via the tab option Mm. but yeah man if if youtube was around when i was a kid i would be wingy malmstein (laughs) from king parrot and uh that was an amazing story fascinating story can we wrap this shit up pretty soon we're done eh let's wrap it up all right cool thanks uh what about a album of the week as we do okay what's on the stereo my album of the week this week has still been the bellacore album vinyl remaster get some new cds mate yeah i know my phone got wiped my internet's down i am fucked you know what i do have one oh go cradle of filth cruelty in the beast Ah. listen to it the other day while making traditional food most likely I have already. But that's the only thing What's I've really listened to. What's the best song on the to. album? Probably Cruelty Brought the Orchids. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Cabba? My favourite for real. Cradle of Filth song? Or, uh, no. I've still been listening to a lot of acoustic stuff and being a bit of a nerd. But I am going to a punk gig tonight, so I've been cranking Guttermouth the last couple of days. I'll go with their album Friendly People. Been enjoying that. Uh, I just like punk when it's done well properly if it's fast and uh pretty much if it's fast and catchy i like it not too poppy so yeah early gutter mouth is good i think the newer gutter mouth is not too shabby as well i'll amend mine mm. oh, my favorite album of the week mm. is a dvd oh what is it it is the cosmic psychos <laughs> blokes you can trust yeah right it's something that everyone in Australia should watch. Mm. It is fucking awesome and it made me laugh a whole heap and made me want to have some beers. I'll watch it and have some beers. Dude, watch it. It's fucking awesome. It's yeah. about a punk band from the 80s who made it pretty big. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Mm. A good a good watch and I do say everyone should actually buy it because um, those guys probably don't earn any money and they're farmers. So there you go. <laughs> I bought a DVD the other day. haven't watched it yet. 
Soil, soil work live in the heart of Helsinki. Whoa. Yeah. Nice, dude. I heard good things about it, but I haven't actually watched it yet. I did get it, though, sitting in my house. Very cool. It's a double album as well. Same audio, I think. Of course. Kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Fuck wits. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and what song are we going to play? Uh, That's going to be have tough. Have we played the title track from Forged in Flame on here? Let's and do it this week. I heard it the other day. I enjoyed it. This one is called Forged in Falm. And before we go, usual housekeeping bullshit. If you're still listening now and you don't like us all around the internet, find us, Claim the Throne on Facebook, Twitter, CTT underscore AU, Ash Throne and Mr. Cabba, uh, Reverb Nation, ClaimTheThrone.com. Record us a fucking message. Please, no one's doing it. ClaimTheThrone.net. Hover over the right-hand side of the screen. <laughs> record something, please. We're begging you. <laughs> we keep saying that we'll record it. We'll play it on the show, but no one ever records anything. So how are we going to play it if you don't fucking record it, you dickheads? involves one Amos Pogles. Two downloads a week plus yeah. Amos Pogles. Amos Pogles, Oliver Udall. Razor Ray, maybe Stuart McGill. Uh, what about the two teams in my current AFL Supercoach League that I'm really proud of? I think you're doing well this year, guys. The Cunning Stunts and the Jeff Kennets. <laughs> Ned and Nathan, <laughs> keep at it, guys. I can hope you're not using up too many trades just yet. We'll see you next week. We are Claim the Throne, Cabra and Ash. We've got some gigs and shit coming up soon. We'll walk you through the process as we do what it's like to be in a real band in the real world. Climbing the thorn. Watched in foul.